hunters about the tales in the wild. My name is Edwin, aka the Ramen Schmo, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, Frank from 5am Ramen. Frank, how are you doing today? Very good. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, just want to touch base and see how things are going and see what you've been up to uh, recently. So yeah, Frank, have you had any interesting bowls in the past since last time we talked? Let's see. Um, yeah, I've been uh, I've been working sort of on that YouTube series about you know how ramen shops have been coping. So I did have more, let's say, refrigeratable slash frozen ramen from some famous ramen shops, including Ramen Emoto and also uh, 175 degrees uh, Denno. Oh, nice! Is the uh, 175 degree Denno's video mm-hmm. up? No, um, I'm working on that right now. So. Give me seven weeks and it'll be finished up the <laughs> editing. Um, yeah, no, I literally just filmed. So hope to have that out uh, within within the week is the goal. Nice, nice. For the listeners out there, Frank's been doing a great YouTube series on uh, ramen shops and how they're coping with, in the current climate uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic. He has a video out with uh, two shops so far that I've seen. Mm-hmm. And the most recent, yeah, being en- most recent being Emoto out in Nakameguro. Mm-hmm. Um, really interesting insights into what they're doing, so be sure to check it out. As far as myself, I've only had one bowl. I've been slacking, so I do feel ashamed to call myself a schmo. That's, o- that's okay. <laughs> we but all I have want- our weeks um Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's not it's not the ideal climate to go ramen hunting, but uh, I went out to Meguro. There's a place okay. called Aji Ichi. Have you ah. heard of this place? I haven't gone in. I just know, don't they do like old school Chinese style ramen? Like, yeah, it's got a very like a chukaryori style menu. With, like, mm-hmm. we talk about those old chukaryori shops, you know, in previous episodes, and this mm-hmm. very much is like that. But the key difference is the guy who opened it opened it fairly recently, maybe in in the 2000, 2004 or five, which is unusual because it's pretty hard to open these type of shops because they use a lot of a lot of younger people don't want to do it it's a lot of heat in the kitchen a lot of uh, hot oil flying around and these days you go to ramen shops and they have very refined soups and they just kind of you know, scoop it out of the ladle into a nice fancy bowl but no mm-hmm. they do it the old school way and it, it was uh, it really hit the spot and they had a lot of uh, families and uh, people kind of going out going there to order their takeout uh, so i really liked it and this is the type of shop that'll Lasts a long time. They have tanmen, which is a a really good type of ramen, and they also have different types of chahan, which they're apparently famous for. And the one that I had had seabura chahan. Interesting. It was pretty, it was pretty fantastic, but in moder- you have to eat it in moderation because uh, it seems like. Correct me if I'm wrong. You've got a lot of seabura ramen on the feed recently. For everyone's reference, seabura is pork back fat. It's um, you know, it's a heavier ingredient, <laughs> kind of gloopy, and uh, you know, at the top. I mean, I'm sure it's not like a a conscious you know thing to go out and get seabura ramen. But the other day, I think you had a bowl of um, something with seabura, right? I probably did. Yeah. Yeah, how, how I don't was the seabura chahan anyway? Um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, it was good. Um, here's the thing though, they have kamaboko, like uh, it's a fish cake. That's kind of chopped and diced, and it's white, mm-hmm. and it looks exactly the seabra. So I'm not sure what I'm eating. Sometimes I'm not sure if it's the f- bits of fat or bits of fish. They so, kind of blend together. Yeah, they do. They do. So it was it was really nice. It you know kind of 
it adds an extra kind of animal flavor to the fried rice, and uh, I can see why people are hooked on it. They've, I think they've applied for a trademark on Seabra. Really? I thought that was funny. How, how did you how did you know they applied for a trademark? I mean, was it like um, something you saw online, or was there you know in the restaurant like indication? Yeah, of that? No, it was in the restaurant. They, they had a big sign on on the on the no uh, kidding. trademark uh, application pending. <laughs> <laughs> that is they really, awesome. They take it seriously. They they take their branding seriously. I was impressed. That, that's cool, man. I went. I, I wonder how that works. Um, I mean, that's another discussion, of course. But you know, whole like food and ramen trademarking, like that. That would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, you gotta. How do you say? Control the narrative. So, hey. Yes, power- yes. You know, moving on. One thing, though, you mentioned about moving back to your videos. You talked about mm-hmm. a place called uh, Emoto. Mm-hmm. And one thing I noticed as a trend kind of going on in recently is, in the, you know, we've talked previously about online, uh, I guess, platforms where different ramen shops come together and sell their uh, noodles online. But one thing, you know, with your video with about Emoto, and one thing I've noticed with other shops as well, they're selling their uh, sets of ramen noodles and DIY sets uh, through their own individual websites. Mm-mm-mm. And I've seen that seems to be a growing theme. And I was also Mm-mm. interested in your video about how Emoto was saying that traffic, of course, was slow at first, but it's it's picking up. Mm-mm-mm. Was there any special tips that he had or any special reasons why he was able to, or is, is he like, does he have an active SEO strategy or how does he get his word, the name out there? That's a good point. I think, you know, as you're very well aware, Emoto, they have like a loyal following among, you know, especially Niboshi ramen heads, right? So for everyone's reference, Niboshi is a dried sardine ramen. This is what Emoto-san uh, specializes in. But I think, you know, maybe just because they're a young shop, I, I don't know if like it's a specific like strategy per se, but they are very active on social media, right? They've got Instagram, you know, they're putting up stories, uh, you know, anytime somebody orders something online, right? And it's like, hey, I had a multi ramen at home, this was delicious. They take a photo of it, you know, they encourage things like that, right? So I think that's helped, uh, you know, with them gain traction. And as to like why they're getting more orders than maybe in the beginning, I think it's just because maybe it took some time on that platform. And, you know, now they're on, you know, more than one website. So I imagine just, you know, kind of like if you're doing Uber Eats and maybe, uh, you know, local Demicon, you just want to be out there as much as possible. And I think they've done a good job of that, just making sure like, hey, we are doing this. You can get Emoto Ramen, Ramen Emoto at home, putting it up, you know, putting it out there anywhere and everywhere. Not anywhere, but you know what I mean? Right, right. Well, that's a good point. So for those of you out there who are craving your favorite shop's ramen, look for them online. They might, you might be surprised they might have it available. And if not, let them know, then they might respond. When the pandemic hit and we had the uh, restrictions put in place in Tokyo, on the first, very first day, I went around to different ramen shops and I asked, do you guys have any takeout? And a lot of them said no. But since then, a lot of them have made it available. So, you know, maybe online is the next thing. So, you know, feel free to ask your shops and if they get enough demand, they might see the need and adapt as well. For sure, for sure. Um, we got to support them, and um, yeah, hopefully they'll evolve in that way. One other point that you mentioned, uh, you, you mentioned uh, Emoto as a Niboshi shop, and speaking mm-hmm. of Niboshi, I saw something the other day that caught my attention, and this was a new way of doing takeout ramen. There's mm-hmm. a shop in, I think it's around Jujo, up mm-hmm. on the Keintoksen, called mm-hmm. Ru, R-U. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of this shop? 
I don't know that shop, no. Okay. Anyways, they're a pretty good nibo shop out kind of on the northern part of Tokyo. And they have takeout ramen, but they have probably the most eco-friendly version of takeout. And what they what they do is they have, you know, for the customers who want it, they have to bring their own pot. So you bring your pot to the shop. They'll disinfect the pot, wash it, and then um, they'll prepare, prep the soup, put it in your pot, and then you just take it home and go home and eat it. Very cool. Yeah, I think this started maybe in late April or maybe early May. So it's, it's still a fairly new concept, but uh, I thought it was pretty funny and could work, you know? I mean, it makes the- economic sense, you know? They don't have to invest in all that stuff. And, you know, at the end of it, like, we're, it's better on both sides, right? Um, yeah, but I think the only I thing think- is you have to live really close to the shop. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> you don't want to carry a big uh, big thing on the train in a backpack. But you know, one of these things I've noticed too. I mean, on a separate note, is that I think a lot more people are going through garbage. You know, like or you're going through a larger amount of garbage. Maybe you've you know faced the same, Edwin. Yeah. But you know, with all this ramen I'm having, right? Um, you know, I try and of course uh, I recycle. I recycle. You know, plastics go into plastics and everything, but. These things, these containers, they take up a lot of space, right? I mean, you know, I'm going through instant ramen, through takeout ramen, and I've got a little mountain, you know, before garbage day. So if this shop, like Rue, I've added that to my uh, list, by the way. This looks like, um, I can't believe I haven't been here. <laughs> and uh, yeah, if, if that's one way to help that, uh, you know, hats off to them. Cool, cool. Yeah, I think uh, as of April, I don't know if it's just Tokyo, maybe it's all Japan. You know, a lot of grocery stores are starting to charge for the for the uh, plastic bags. So, mm-hmm. uh, Which is a good thing, yeah. It's a good thing. I'm not mad at it. But uh, yeah, it just uh, means that uh, we have to be a little bit more conscious of the waste. Um, so I have less ways to get rid of my plastic waste that's piling up from all these takeout orders. So yeah, I yes. think... Uh, I don't know if Ru was trying to... Uh, you know, maybe they're trying to start a trend so that all ramen shops do this or just restaurants in general. Yeah, I'm not mad at it. Not mad at it. No, this is a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Frank, you know, checking out your YouTube channel, I noticed uh, that you checked out Nakiryu's Instant Ramen. They had two yes, types? Yes, yes. So they had the Tantan Men and the Soupless Tantan Men, or as they say in Japanese, Shirunashi Tantan Men. So that sparked mm-hmm. my interest, and I wanted to go down the rabbit hole of Tantan Men and share with the readers maybe a little bit about the history of it. So, Frank, I know you've done an article about Tantan Men, so maybe you can speak a little bit about to the history and the roots of Tantan Men before it got to Japan. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, you know, well, the, the roots of uh, ramen, as you're very well aware, are very much from China. And particularly Tantan Men is based on Dandan noodles or Dandan Mian, which comes from Sichuan province, uh, specifically Chengdu. And it's thought to have started in about the 1800s and what it was when it was there was a spicy zesty dish and it still is because Sichuan province is known for having very spicy cuisine and also cuisine that includes uh, numbing peppers you know this is also where for those of you that had uh, mapo tofu or mabo tofu a spicy tofu dish it is from the same area so a spicy noodle dish only made sense that's how dandan started and dandan is actually the name of the uh, carrying pole that they use to transport the noodle dish. And if you think about like having soup, which is heavier on a, you know, transport or a carrying pole, 
it's going to be really heavy to bring around. So it started out soupless, and yeah, long story short, it's it made its way to uh, Shanghai, where they toned down the spice. It also made its way to Hong Kong, where they added soup. It went to Taiwan, and of course, made its way to Japan as well. Maybe from here, I can pass on the baton to you, uh, Edwin, as to yeah, what um, you know, what perhaps uh, changed with uh, Tantan Men or Dan Dan making its way to Japan. All right, all right. Well, pardon my crappy Chinese pronunciation, but Sichuan cooking, you know, spicy cooking, that that style of cooking in China is very popular all across the world, and Japan is no different. There's a there's a niche for it, and there was a chef from that Sichuan area named Chin. Ken Ming, and he started a restaurant called Akasaka Hanten in around 1955. So this is a very much like, if you go to any Chinatown in the world, you'll see upscale Chinese restaurants that are with lots of banquet rooms. This is what Akasaka Hanten is, and they're near the uh, National Diet Building, or basically the seat of government in Japan. So they have a lot of politicians who eat there. Even to the to this day, even so, even Prime Minister Abe, he's been there to hold banquets uh, at Akasaka Hanten. Uh, anyways, Chen Ken Min, he would serve the dandan noodles, maybe as as a little bit of a, a meal capper for the courses. But he noticed that a lot of people didn't eat it, so he felt that maybe he could add some soup, add some yeah chimajang, which is kind of like a like a Chinese tahini, I guess, made out of a uh, Kind of a sesame paste, putting it into a bowl, adding some, probably a chicken soup, uh, mixing that up, and adding chili oil to make make this more palatable for Japanese tastes. You know, there's there's some disagreements about if he really is the godfather of it, but in Japan, anyways. But one thing you can't deny is that he's the one who probably popularized it and put it on the menu and made this a thing. He also was. On an NHK cooking show where he would sh- showcase Chinese dishes, and this was one of the dishes that he showcased. And when he did it, he did it as a soup version. So, a lot of Japanese people think tantanmen equals soup noodles, and a lot of them don't know that soupless noodle done tantanmen is actually the norm or how, what it, what it was originally. Anyways, the son of Chen Kenmin is also no, more famous as the one of the original Iron Chefs in Japan. So there's a lot of history behind this shop. So that's a little bit about the history about the start of Tantamen in Japan. Now there's all different types of iterations. There's different regional styles. Like uh, we have things like Katsura Tantamen or what else is it? Hiroshima Tantamen, uh, Shirunashi Tantamen. There are different styles out there. But I want to focus on shops that have their roots in the more traditional Sichuan style. And Frank and I, let's talk about our top three picks. So, Frank, why don't we trade? go back and forth and trade uh, one pick each? So, why don't we start with yeah, uh, Frank? Good. Maybe you can pick one shot that you want to highlight as a good Tantan Men spot. Yeah, sure. One place I have here is La Shohan. And excuse my uh, butchering of the pronunciation as well. From my understanding, I think the owner at La Shohan, this is a shop for everyone's reference in Jimbocho. Jimbocho is a ramen-heavy neighborhood. Really good ramen. This is just one of a few uh, Tantanmen shops. Anyways, uh, he actually studied uh, cuisine in China. So I think what he brings to the dishes there is some authenticity. And there's a lot of different Tantanmen there with varying spice levels. 
you know, some of them I think maybe a little bit closer to the spicier, zestier versions we would have in uh, Sichuan or Sichuan cuisine, and then also the more Japanese styles. And they've got soup and soupless, but I believe the soupless version is the most popular uh, one there. So, yeah, starting off on my side with Lasho uh, Han. Excellent, excellent pick. That was one of the first places where I've ever had uh, the soupless tantan men. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that uh, was a new experience for me, and I didn't, I didn't at the time I didn't know the, really the roots about tantan men. So it was new for me, and I really enjoyed it. From my end, I want to feature one old school type of place, and I had in mind a place called Toryu in Azabujuban. Mm. So this place started in I think around 1950 or 1951. And it's a slightly high, it's a upper scale Chinese restaurant on the shopping arcade in Azabajuban. It's got a very orthodox bowl by Japanese standards, you know, probably a chicken-based soup with uh, ground meat soaked in uh, different uh, Chinese spices or sh- and shoyu, topped off with spinach. And, you know, Juban is known for having a lot of famous people around the area, and regulars there include like a Japanese celebrities like Tamori. Um, the former Prime Minister Koizumi has also been there. But what I really like about this place is that... Frank, have you ever seen Godfather? You mean the uh, the Mafia, Mafioso yes. movies? Um, yes, oh, yes. yes. I read, read the book, too. Um, nice, or was nice. it books? I can't remember. <laughs> well, anyways, there's a scene in Godfather, if you recall, where uh, Al Pacino has dinner with Salazzo and the police captain. McCloskey. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. He Very iconic a, scene. And he grabs a gun and uh, whacks them both. So I don't know if I can put this on wax, but I'll tell the story anyways, and maybe I'll, I'll think about if I have to cut it later on. But many years ago, there was a shooting in Ropongi, a Yakuza-related sh- sh- shooting, and someone died. This is w- over 10 years ago. And at the time, I was working in Juban. And me and my coworker, we went out to go eat one day in that area. And this is a few days after the incident. The, sh- the entire block in front of Toryu was blocked off and there were black sedans lined up the st- up and down the street. And next to each sedan were, I think, uh, chimpira or kind of Yakuza uh, henchlings. Yes, each, each guy, two, do- two per car, smoking a cigarette and just kind of uh, st- you know, scanning the scenery. And then smack in the middle of that entire line of black sedans was a white Rolls Royce. Or no, it was a white Bentley right in front of Toryu. They were having a meeting inside the, uh, inside the shop. They're on the second floor, is kind of like a little bit of a banquet floor. And mm. it feels like the kind of place where you would get whacked. <laughs> this place is straight gangster. It so they, they, really were, they were all deep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, not like that, you know, but yeah, to uh, have a safe uh, haven for these meetings, you know, providing a safe haven, right, for these meetings. Is it, yeah. Go ahead. So uh, I'll probably leave this in the podcast, but if you if you find that there's no more episodes after this, you'll know what happened to me. So <laughs> someone got to me. So that's my pick. I, 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 you know, the Tantamen itself is very good. It's a little bit pricey. So if you go there at lunch on a weekday, they may have it for a thousand yen or about 10 bucks. Uh, but typically, it's around uh, eighteen bucks on uh, off for the regular menu. But it's a really traditional style of Japanese tantan men, and that's kind of the the base where other shops kind of go off of to make their own style. 
uh, it's just a really cool atmosphere. So if you have a chance, check it out. So Frank, what would be your number two pick? So yeah, we'll see if it overlaps. But the next one I got on my list here is Aun, A-U-N. And uh, Aun, they have two shops, basically one in Yushima and one in Asakusa. And I've been to the one in Asakusa many, many more times than the one in uh, Yushima. But um, yeah, both shops are fantastic. I think, uh, you know, I guess you could say paying maybe a perfect balance between paying homage to the roots of Tantanmen. That is, they do have the soupless variety and now the one with soup too. Both soupless and with soup, and they have a fair amount of spice. You can customize that alongside customizing the numbing pepper and also showcasing white and black sesame and the differences there. Tiny shop, but very much like we are, let's say, Chinese, Japanese, tantanmen. Aon is is a very dope spot for those who are out maybe in the Uno area or you said the other one is Akihabara? Uh, Asakusa. Asakusa, sorry about that. Oh, yeah, so if you're in those areas... No, Ueno, close, Asakusa, uh, close yeah. to Akihabara, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, they have both the soupless and the soup version. My feeling is that these type of places, they their top priority is the soupless, and then just to cater to people who want it, they also have this, the soup version as well. But if you go there, my recommendation is definitely the soupless version at Aung. Well, I had something similar. I had a place pick called Shan Pen Pen. Again, terrible Chinese mm. pronunciation. This place, That's okay. This, I, I, same for me. <laughs> anyway, this place is out in Kiba. Mm. And it started in 2017. So it's a fairly newer, it's a newer shop. And what I like about this place is that the chef, similar to Aun, is trained in Chinese cuisine. So he knows his way around the different Chinese spices. So he has a kind of a sesame and cashew nut paste with shoyu, lao Lao Shou, I got a Chinese type of soy sauce, and black vinegar, minced pork blended in uh, Tianmian sauce, and other types, of, all types of other ingredients to add a little bit more flavor and uh, variety. So things like yasai, soy milk, fried shallots, and more. So very complex bowl, but really trying to stay true to the roots of Tantanmen. I think the biggest difference. Not the biggest difference, but a major difference between Japanese noodles and the Chinese version is that Chinese version of Nandamen typically does not have kansui, so the noodles are usually white. But in most, pretty much, if most if not all Japanese shops will have kansui, so a little bit more yellow tinge to it. And this place is no different, I think. So, yeah, very much in line with the Frank's pick, I picked Sean Pen Pen out in Kiba. I have not been there. Uh, Got to add it to my list. I don't get out to Kiba uh, too much. And um, I think that list uh, for that part of town gets longer and longer. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way in terms of uh, going to your part of town. I have a lot of spots that I want to hit up, but I don't have a chance to get out there. So I got to step up my game to call myself a hunter. No, no, no. You uh, you have put in the time, sir. <laughs> and uh, so everybody knows Tokyo is massive. I mean, you know, this is just uh, the tip of the iceberg. We're picking our top three here, but you could have, you know, easily, I think, a top 50, <laughs> you know, Tantanmen. Of course, then, uh, you know, we're stretching it a little bit, but there are so many shops to choose from. And Edwin mentioned uh, Kansui, which is an alkaline mineral water that they use in ramen noodles. That's what gives them that yellow color and gives them more bite. And, um, you know, maybe branching off that, I'll mention uh, my third shop. Um, so... My, yeah, it's, it's hard. I've got such a big list here, but I think 
Hey, maybe um, you know, branching off my YouTube, I do like uh, one seven five Deno a lot. Uh, this is one seven five degrees uh, Deno, and you know, we're seeing a common pattern here in that a lot of these Japanese chefs, you know, you you put it very well in that they know their way around with Chinese spices. You know, this is not, you know, with Tantan Man, it's very critical. I think that they, in a way, maintain the integrity of maybe the. Uh, you know Chinese cooking aspects, right? And I think one five uh, seven degrees Deno does a great job of that too. And just like some of the options we mentioned, they do either white or black sesame. White being a little creamier, black being kind of more smoky and peppery, and soup less and with soup. I think with them too, you know, they're most proud of their soupless, right? You know, that's the one. Like, hey, this is uh, you know our dish. Um, again, maintaining that authenticity, but they've also got the version with soup there, you know, for people that want that. And of course, like I myself will alternate between soupless or soup. If it's a cold winter day outside, I'm gonna have it with soup. But maybe, you know, the soupless at the end of the day is the one that's uh, meant to steal the show. So that would be um, that would be my third pick. Excellent, excellent choice. I think there was a big run of maybe tantan men shops, maybe in the past three or four years, and that was one of them that definitely mm -hmm. stood out in the crowd. Did you go to the one in Ginza? Yeah, um, I've uh, done the Ginza Kandam Shinjuku uh, ones, but I have not been to their Sapporo uh, Honsha, their headquarters. Um, I guess, uh, you know, it's interesting that they came out of Hokkaido to begin with, right? Um, you know, miso, ramen, all these other ramen styles. The the Honten, right, has the highest rating. You know, of course, that doesn't mean it's always going to be the best, but one day will be nice to visit uh, where it all started. Nice, nice. For my last pick, I had to go probably with the most obvious one, the one that needs to be mentioned. And I picked Nakiryu. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they started in 2012 and over the years built a great reputation. And based on the power of their Tantan men, they earned a Michelin star in 2017 and have kept it ever since. So on the surface, it looks like a pretty ordinary bowl of, of Japanese style tantan men, but it's it's the ingredients that they put into it that really make it stand out. So they, for the soup, they use whole chickens, they use uh, beef bones, they use kombu from, uh, from a place called Raus, which is up in Hokkaido, they use katsuobushi, they use oysters, and their sesame paste is mixed with several different shoyus and uh, also some uh, fish dashi. So a lot of high-quality, complicated ingredients going together to make a very, very complex and very satisfying soup. And the toppings also are slightly modified. I think they use negi instead of uh, boiled spinach or things like that. But overall, it's just an extremely well-balanced bowl of tantaiman that you won't experience anywhere else. So in that sense, it's worth the wait. Michelin shops tend to have a pretty crazy line. So be prepared, but I thought it was worth it. Um, I was lucky enough to go there before they got the star, so it wasn't too crazy. I don't know how it is now. Probably, actually, that was probably a good time if you're willing to brave the... Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think it's gone down. And maybe branching off that, if I may, you know, for Michelin star, um, I mean, I think compared to Tsuta, you know, you can get a lot of bang for your buck there, right? Um, you know, with all toppings, like, they don't charge a crazy crazy amount um you know off the top of my head i mean definitely like what is it a thousand three hundred fifty yen i think which is like about 12 bucks like you can get their tantan men as edwin mentioned 
with, uh, you know, also um, uh, half-boiled egg and all of their uh, chashu, uh, their, all of their meat toppings too, which are prepared in different ways. So very good deal and worth the wait, as Edwin said. Nice, nice. So those were, Frank, and my uh, top three picks. Were there any honorable mentions that you wanted to shout out? Yeah, that uh, going back to that top hundred, right? I mean, it's like, um, and it's hard to categorize them too. But I put like, um, you know, Kisurin in Akasaka. Um, I'm a fan of that place. Uh, Hozuki. Have you been to Hozuki in? Um, oh my God, Nakano. And I thought Hozuki was an interesting pick because they use the pako, you know, the uh, the breaded uh, pork cutlet, right, on top. And you know, Hozuki. I don't get to Nakano that much, but it was a nice. Um, Nice way to experience that ever since Asuka in Shibuya was gone, right? Um, mm. Now, maybe that's not the Tantan Men. I didn't mention it, too, because it's not really the Tantan Men in the, in the context that we've been discussing Tantan Men. But I put that there. And I also put Hashigo uh, oh. in Ginza. And, um, and, and for everyone's reference, uh, Edwin mentioned uh, Nakiryu. Hashigo is a similar uh, style to that, but they've been around uh, for a long time. It tastes a little bit sour like it does at the Michelin star Nakiryu. And then last but not least, kind of as a random one, I put Rokando in Ikebukuro. Uh, they, um, they're not known for their tantan, man. But I went the other day, um, or excuse me, maybe like four months ago, and I was surprised by their tantan, man. Even though, you know, Shio and Shoyu are the name of the game there. So those are nice, the honorable nice. mentions on my side. All right. How about on your side? So for my honorable mentions, I wanted to mention two shops uh you already mentioned a lot of the ones that i had in mind but the ones i wanted to highlight were a place called eym out in kasimigaseki an old school shop more of a chinese restaurant but they also are very very well known for their tantamen which is in more of an old school kind of uh toryu or akasaka hunting style and a place called shibere noodle rosokuya this is out in ginza and it's one of the, the more new school tantamen shops they have the soupless versions and I believe they have the regular soup versions as well. They also have a marble men, like a marble tofu, but they don't put on noodles. So basically, they like spicy food, and it's good. And very close to one of the uh, one of your mentions, uh, Denodo. So those are my honorable mentions: EYN and Shibire Noodles Rosokuya. Excellent choices. I'm gonna have to check out Shibire Noodles. Um... Tantan Men uh, is getting more comp- competitive in Ginza. It's getting competitive everywhere, I think. And there's there's no hard and fast rules about what needs to be in it. So it's a great dish for a lot of shops to experiment with. So, yeah, you know, if you, for the listeners out there, if you find anything new that you think is cool, let me and Frank know. So moving on, we just finished episode five of Gyoritsu no Megami. Ramen Sayuki, the ramen drama that's airing on Mondays, 10 p.m. on TV Tokyo. So this was a, another fun episode. And this one wasn't so much about the process of making ramen so much as the business of ramen. And this particular episode covered what happens when an elderly couple wants to retire. What do they do with the ramen shop? And in this case, we had an elderly couple who had an, who had been running a chukaryori shop for 30 years. And they are ready to retire, but they do not have a successor. So the elderly couple approached Serizawa and asked to help them uh, find a successor for their shop. And Serizawa's solution was to have four of her employees uh, have a competition to see who could find the best successor. 
So they all have their own networks of people in the ramen industry, and they can find someone who potentially could fill these shoes. The setup is that each contestant has three days to run the shop in their own way, and at the end of the of, of all four uh, contestants' uh, performance, the old couple would choose who would be the winner. So, Frank, I thought this was an interesting exercise to see the philosophy of running a restaurant. And why don't you talk a little bit about how these contestants did? What were their approaches to running the shop? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, may maybe I'll cover uh, the first three, excluding uh, Shiomi. I'll leave uh, Shiomi, our protagonist, uh, to you. But um, yeah, basically, the three employees they went around and you know brought um, you know people that had, of course, uh, had you know experience in one in one form or another at ramen shops. So let's just say uh, Chef A. He, I believe, was the tencho or the manager at different ramen shops. So he was good at multitasking, knew his way around the kitchen, and he did a, a trial run there. Um, you know, things uh, seemed to be going well. He, uh, he, of course, was experienced in that arena. The uh, Chef B, let's say, was even more of like someone that was very experienced in the, uh, in the kitchen. And I believe he was maybe... The most technical of the three and that he really knew how to make the ramen come alive and perhaps even make it better so he did his trial run for three days as well so the last person was an example of someone that was just the worst candidate um you know exaggerated for the show but um someone that clearly uh, was not good with dealing people and um was really, you know, kind of irking customers from day one. And this elderly couple was like, what are you doing? Like, you're, you're angering, you know, these loyal customers that have been coming for years. Uh, just to give you a quick example, I think uh, he was cutting down on the amount of, um, uh, the portion amount in the Tommen, right? And these regular customers are like, wait a minute, this is not what we've been doing for a while, right? And maybe, you know, cost saving this and that, but to do that overnight was a bad move. Um, and maybe the most uh, interesting thing he did was they, they've got a floor space where they've got both counter seating and uh, the table seating. And he, for the table seating area, he basically put away all the tables and chairs in the corner of the room, um, you know, so not using that space for eating at all. And what that did was create a line out the door. So kind of like a, a little bit gimmicky ploy to, for people maybe to pass by and be like, oh. There's a line, you know, maybe that can create, uh, in a way, some sort of artificial demand, which is a phenomenon uh, here in Japan. You know, people might be moved by like, hey, there's a line there. This is going to be good. But of course, when you go in the stores, uh, you know, you go in the actual ramen shop, it's like, wait a minute, all these tables are stacked up. So he, he was the worst candidate, but brought some, in a way, interesting, uh, you know, maybe short-term gain, long-term loss solutions. So those were, yeah, A, B, C, the three options. And um, yeah, maybe Edwin, um, I'll, I'll leave it to you to describe uh, Shiomi, uh, what she, uh, the candidate that she brought, and um, yeah, what the conclusion was from the four of them. All right. So our protagonist, Shiomi, stumbled across a person who was willing to help her. And Shiomi had no real connection to this person, but this person uh, offered to solve this issue for her. And his approach was, okay, let me learn how to make this tom men. Give me the recipe, and then 
after that, he just disappeared for for the next two days. And Shomi was like, what's going on? Is this guy serious about trying to win this competition? He's gone for two days. And then on the third day, he came back. But when he came back, there was a line out the door and uh, a full shop. And it was running very well. So what was he doing for these two days? Apparently, you know, this the shop location is in an old shopping arcade. So he quickly looked at, assessed the situation, looked at the, his market research. They have their local loyal customers. But near the station, there's a lot of new condos uh, popping up. And those people really don't go to the shopping arcade. So he decided to make flyers and kind of tune the marketing of the of the bowl to, sh- to stress there's extra vegetables, one day's worth of vegetables in this one bowl. Come and get your fill and uh, leave without feeling guilty. So he got a whole, he developed a whole new customer base. Also, he uh, was out drinking with the shop owners in the neighborhood. And the reason for that is he needed to make good relations with them so that when this shop, when this ramen shop becomes popular again with lines out the door, this is the theme that happens over and over in Japan where a really proper shop has to close down because they cause too many problems for their neighbors because the lines are too long, people are blocking entrances to other businesses. So uh, he found a way to make sure that they are all on his side. He would promise to buy vegetables from the local vegetable shop. He would promote the coffee shop next door to customers as a place to hang out afterwards. So he was able to head off a lot of potential problems, kind of nip them in the bud, so to speak. Very well put. Um, so yeah, I think uh, those were... It's a very ingenious solution, and at the end of the day, when they, all the contestants lined up to hear the results, the old couple went with Xiaomi's horse. So yeah, overall, I think it was a pretty interesting episode to see the philosophy of running a business. There were a lot of uh, interesting moments and this interesting philosophies about what's right, or maybe it's parts that people aren't even look, paying attention to. But Frank, for you, what were what were your favorite moments from this show? Yeah, um, I think... You you pretty much mentioned it. I think it was just, you know, that whole mysterious thing like, oh, where do you go for two days and how he, you know, rode, um, you know, in as the hero in the end. I think just, you know, how he very strategically established those relationships, you know. This was something that the other, the other three were very much focused on the food. And, of course, you need to be focused on the food. But, you know, I think long-term wise, he made all of the right moves, creating those relationships uh, you know, a little bit of marketing, the, um, you know, getting your vegetable intake for one day. I think that's actually what Tonari no Tanmen, right? Uh, you know, that's part of their marketing, right? So, so very slick thinking on his part. And it just, I just smiled, uh, you know, seeing that. Uh, I think how he hustled in a different way. Behind the scenes, as you said, there could be a lot going on. And he, he definitely uh, exemplified that. So, I, I really, I really like this angle and how his efforts were rewarded in the end. Nice, nice. As for myself, there was a scene in the episode where Shiomi was tasked with finding uh, part timers to work at one of the uh, branches of the city's I was shops, and all the her coworkers kind of laughed and said, "Good luck." And Shiomi was exposed to the horrors of trying to find good talent. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, for any business, it can be a run-of-the-mill, you, know, you could be a food truck for, or you could be 
Fortune 500 company, it doesn't really matter. The biggest block to any company's growth is the ability to find the right talent uh, at scale. Shiomi was exposed to this challenge. She met a lot of interesting and interesting characters. One character, one person came in late and didn't apologize. One person came with his mother and was playing video games <laughs> during the interview. One person was on his phone talking and you know snapped at her for interrupting while he was talking. So, <laughs> I mean, obviously these are extreme examples. And one of the her employees said, "You know, you're probably better off hiring a foreigner because they're probably going to work harder." And this is actually a re- a real thing in in Japanese ramen shops. So when you go, a lot of shops I go to these days, I see more and more foreign workers, people from maybe Southeast Asian countries, sometimes Western countries. Uh, so for people who are interested in getting into ramen, but maybe feel their language uh, isn't up to par, you'd be surprised. A lot of these shops, if you work hard and you know, put your head down to work hard, there's a good chance they might hire you. So yeah, the, you know, the opportunity is there. The doors are open. Don't, let language be a barrier for you. Just if you're willing, if you're willing to come out here, there's a way. There's a way. Very well said. I think Japan, especially ramen included, can seem very insular in a way. It is, but you hit the nail on the head in that. In the last ten years, right, we're seeing workers in these shops, you know, busting uh, their bottoms, <laughs> you know, to uh, to really make a dent. And I think you know, hiring is tough around the world, and maybe even more so in Japan, right? The market is such that the population is declining and ramen shops are part of this. Like, where do we get staff from? And whether it's warranted or not, there is a sense in Japan to like, oh, these young people, you know, they don't have the work ethic, uh, you know, that we used to. Maybe the person there on their phone or the, you know, one with his mother playing video games, right? There is this kind of sentiment and a lot of ramen shops are, you're like, you know what? We're going to hire Vietnamese. We're going to hire Chinese or otherwise. And this is something you didn't see 10, 15 years ago, wouldn't you say? Definitely, definitely. It's uh, even my supermarket or my 7-Elevens. Um, a lot of foreign cashiers these days. Uh, didn't see that when I first came to Japan. Um, not Japan a bad thing. It is changing. It is changing. Um, it's going to have to. Yeah. Aging population. No one's going to fill these spots from within. Exactly. All right. So, yeah, that was uh, my favorite moment. Frank, what was your takeaway from this show? I think... Um... You know, maybe maybe I can mention how the what two of the guys uh, failed in their, uh, <clears throat> you know, why, why they weren't chosen, right? I think the, um, and then branch off to, to that into my takeaway. But for everyone's reference, um, yeah, in the end, of course, uh, the, the horse that won was the one that uh, was very strategic. But Serizawa, the president, she basically called out... Uh, not the extreme example of the guy that was stacking the tables on top of each other, but the other two. One of them was not picked because he basically didn't have a sense of like, when people were lining up to go into the store, there was one person, a solo eater that came in first, right? And he said, he said in Japanese, like, oh, you can sit at the table. There was a four person table. Immediately after that, there were three people that came in. And he said, oh, you can come to the counter. So three people were kind of crowding into the counter. What would have made more sense was for the one person to maybe move to the counter and have the three people take the table there, right? It's just better if you're in a a group. So she pointed that out and said, hey, you got to read the situation. Like that was not, uh, you know, maybe good as a restaurant owner. 
Second guy, his failing was that he was tasting the broth with the same spoon that he was using to cook with. That really bugged her. And he was using his nice knife to cut open a plastic uh, bag of the bean sprouts, right? So that was more like, yeah, I guess about being like a good chef. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that this guy that got the job in the end, he was very much, you know, it wasn't just about the technical cooking skills, how you use your knife or, you know, how you deal with customers, but more like being able to read the room. I think you have to have a sixth sense, right? And if you have that ability, like making people feel good, um, you know, whether it's customer service or just having a way like to create those relationships, as you said, the coffee shop next door, the vegetable uh, stand down the road. I think this guy had that sixth sense. And when I go to ramen shop that you know they're on point like that, some places don't, you know, but I think when you have that, like the experience is that much better, right? If you can have a smooth running ramen shop where the service is good and the person makes you feel like you want to be there, I walk away from that ramen shop feeling that much better, even if the food is um, already good to begin with. So a very long-winded takeaway, but I guess <laughs> the point is that, yeah, being a good tenshu or shop owner is not just about having the technical prowess. And this guy exemplified that. Excellent, excellent takeaway. That was my big takeaway for the overall show. But there's one small takeaway that I took from an early scene in the episode. So in the process of Xiaomi trying to find her a part-time employee for the, the shop, she came across one guy who was super eager. He said, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm a huge fan of Sidizawa's ramen. And I'm willing, I'm willing to work for free. Uh, this is my dream to be you know, involved in ramen. And this is where I want to be. I'll work for free. And Shumi was so impressed by his enthusiasm. She said, wow, we should hire this guy. And she consulted with her boss, Sidizawa, who quickly shot the idea down. And I thought that was strange at first. But then Sidizawa said something that was very on point. People who are willing to work for free don't understand the value of money. And the people who don't understand the value of money tend to act irresponsibly. And I thought that was pretty deep and a pretty deep way to fish out uh, people and their motivations and predict their actions in the end. So she, you know, Sidi Zawad pointed out that, look, if we hire this person, in a day or two, he'll realize how much of a hard job this is and we'll start demanding pay. And even after this person gets paid, he'll probably just quit anyways. So I thought that was a very, very insightful way of looking at talent in terms of how they what, what their values are and if they align with the shops so yeah that was my takeaway for this episode so frank any last thoughts about uh, this episode no not really i think we uh, we covered everything i like this episode a lot and i guess it's just nice to see a beloved ramen shop continue because that's not always the case right the recipe dies with the elderly couple for example right you know maybe they're not willing to have a successor and you've got all these loyal patrons that have been loving that uh, that dish for so long and then it just uh, disappears so it, it was nice to have a happy ending here let's say one last point um this is kind of related to the show but i saw this article the other day uh this i think this is around january when this happened you know Sanno-style Sano ramen? The city of Sanno, they have a lot of old-school shops, and they started a program to recruit people to become some of these shops' successors. So people would apply, and 
the condition was that if they come and train in Sano and take over the shop, they have to keep it in Sano and keep that tradition alive. So this con- the the setup for the episode is not that far fetched. This is something that I wanted to throw out there because these are real things that ha- that are it, these are real issues that are coming up in the ramen world in Japan. So yeah, uh, I think that's about it for this episode. So yeah, Frank, just to remind everybody, where can people find and follow you? Yep, follow uh, the 5am ramen trail. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, YouTube, and uh, of course the website itself, 5amramen.com. Cool, cool. Any upcoming projects that we should be on the lookout for? Uh, sure. Um, yeah, the uh, the 175 degree deno Tantan Men place that I had in my top three. I actually talked to them in Shinjuku about how they've been uh, dealing with the current crisis and how that's impacted their business. So I joked about the edits taking three months, but do hope to have that uh, you know, up uh, on YouTube uh, within the next uh, week or so. So yeah, uh, you can perhaps uh, look forward to that one. And before that, I'll have a family ramen, uh, fam- excuse me, family, family mart ramen video coming out too. Nice, nice. Ask myself. You can follow me on Instagram. I am Ramen Schmo. Uh, also on Twitter as well, if you want to hit me up. And uh, yeah, if you want, feel free to leave a five-star review on any of your po- podcast platforms of choice. And yeah, I'll talk to you guys soon.